And he said that had been beamed out right the way across the whole of new ground. Um, so, you know, you know, he's got a lovely way to bless me. He really has. Um, just linked with new ground, it was brilliant to be up in Oxted. Um, that is sort of north... No, it's in Surrey, on the Surrey-Kent border, um, where our very own, or used to be our very own, Kevin Rose, many of you will remember him, um, we had the joy and privilege of appointing him into eldership up there at that local church, King's Church. So do, do um, just remember him in your prayers, if you know him, pray that God will bless him and Liz and uh, the church up in Oxted. Um, it's great to be partnering uh, with them there. Brilliant. This morning, I'm going to be talking about elders and eldership. Now, I don't want you to switch off thinking, well, that's definitely not on my heart. What I want you to do is to work through it with me, think about it um, with me, because particularly when it comes to some of the character qualifications, in reality, they're they're just what a mature Christian should look like. They're just what we're called to develop into, um, regardless of whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're a teenager or, or someone who's elderly, actually we're all called to grow in maturity and uh, aspire to look more and more like Jesus. So I just want to encourage you to uh, bear that in mind and to think about that. And as we're doing it, just to think through what I'm saying, because obviously for us as a church at the moment, we're in the beginnings or the middle of Um, looking for your feedback, your encouragements, your questions, your concerns when it comes to Samacrasi and Alid Cousins and them coming into eldership. So we just want to inform you and communicate what the Bible says um, about these things. I've got tape on the bottom of my foot, so I'm just going to take that off and then we'll carry on. These messy musicians, you know, leaving their rubbish all over the place. Right, excellent. Let's just pray. Lord, I thank you for your outstanding uh, goodness to us. Thank you that that incredible song that John led us in, just talking about how, how the difficulties of life you walk through us, that you are faithful, that you are good. I thank you, Father, Lord, that that is the foundation that we stand on. Your unchanging character, you are faithful, you are good, that we can trust in you, that you will never let us down. I thank you so much for that, Lord God. Amen. Brilliant. So as we talk about eldership today, I want to look at it under four particular headings. I want to look at history, purpose, qualifications, and process. And just want to work my way um, through uh, these these areas and we pause and look as we go through. Just so when we look at the... history of eldership, we see in the Bible that elders are mentioned right the way through. From the, from the very beginning, uh, we see um, elders uh, mentioned in Exodus 3, verse 16. They're men- mentioned 127 times in the Old Testament. They're mentioned 24 times in the Gospels. And they're mentioned 40 times from Acts chapter 1 onwards. 
In the Old Testament, they were a crucial part of the leadership mix in Israel, either working under a set man like Moses or Joshua or one of the judges or the kings, or in the absence of those set men, um, they, they led Israel. They were the highest authority within Israel. And we see in Deuteronomy verse 30, chapter 31 that there were elders over the tribes of Israel. We find in Deuteronomy 19 that there were elders over towns. And in Joshua 20, there were elders over cities. So when we hit the New Testament and we hear this term elders, it's completely ripped off from the Old Testament. It's completely taken from Israel and the New Testament church adopted it for their um, uh, church government. Early on, it was the apostles who led the church in Jerusalem. By Acts chapter 6, deacons are appointed to help the apostles because they're being overwhelmed by the need. By Acts chapter 8, The apostles are starting to go out beyond Jerusalem into Samaria and Judea and they're ministering there. So by the time we hit Acts chapter 11 verse 30, elders are mentioned in the church in Jerusalem. And by Acts 15 verse 4, Paul and Barnabas, when they're reporting back to the church in Jerusalem, they report back to the apostles and the elders there. So by this point in time, churches are led by teams of elders who are submitted to apostolic ministry. So when it comes to the local church, when it comes to this church, who is ultimately responsible for the health of the church, it's a team of elders who stand before God and will give an account for the health of the local church. So at the moment, it's myself and Steve Young. And if everything goes according to plan, how we hope it will go, Alid and Sam will get added into that mix as well. Now I know for some of you, you come from different church traditions. So you might come from an Anglican church where the church was led by a vicar and then you might have had church wardens and you might have elders appointed under who are a bit more like the hands and feet of the vicar. Or you may come from another church where you had a minister or or a pastor, an associate pastor. And again, you had a sort of a, a team of elders who supported the pastor, but really it was the pastor who made the decision And the elders were a bit more the hands and feet of it. Within kings, it's it's the elders together who lead the church. So if if you ask who leads kings, it's not me. It's me and Steve as elders who lead this church forward. And we are equally responsible for the health, the vitality, the direction, the discipline, the teaching within this local church setting. And that's what we're looking to add Sam and Alid into in this eldership process. Do you see there's a slight difference from how that phrase elders can be used in other church settings? So I just want to bring clarity um, and understanding to that. Within the Bible, the role of elders is is set apart for some men. And that may come as a surprise to you. It's not how society works. You may even think, well, does that mean, does that, mean that women can't lead? If, if eldership set aside for some men, can women not lead? And I would say that is absolutely... Now, I've got to work out what have I just said, so I don't agree with what I just said. Can women lead within kings? Absolutely a big, massive yes. Totally they can. And there are many, many different places where women show um, incredible leadership gifting. Our operations director and director of finance 
are both women. Some of the best ministries that we run are led by women. Some of the most anointed worship leaders that we have are Half of our trustees are, our brilliant youth group is led by Joe, who is a, I see, look, you've got the subtlety there, well done. And so in a sense, do do we believe, oh, and we have within the team um, a woman who is ministering at a national level with national significance. None of the men in the church are doing that. So... Yes, 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 and yes. But within the Bible, God has defined eldership as a role that men do. In Genesis 1.27, we understand that men and women are created equal in the image of God. We are the same, but there are some differences. Neither sex has greater worth or value before God than the other. But scripture also reveals that men and women are to have a different role as part of God's creation plan. In this, equality with difference and unity, men and women reflect God himself. God is one but three, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Each person in the Trinity has different roles. If you, when you read the Bible, read closely, you'll find the Father has a different role to the Son. The Son has a different role to the Holy Spirit. You'll, you'll notice that in there. Sometimes when we pray, we don't pray along those lines. But it's good to read it, to understand, to see that is very clearly there in the Bible. Each person of the Trinity has different roles, but there is no sense in which one is less equal than the other. Or even that one is less God than the other Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equal, all totally God. That's how God's designed it. So in God, there is equality with difference and unity. And that's how God has created us to be as well. Which I know even for some of you right now, you're thinking your brain's turning. Have I just heard what I thought I heard? I need longer to process, but I'm not going to give you any longer at the moment. Happy to chat to you after, but we're going to move it on from there. So that's a little bit the history of eldership. What about the purpose of eldership? You know, what is it they actually do? Don't they just work on Sundays? And to be quite honest, I'm not even certain they do a full day's work on a Sunday. They only do mornings, don't they? Sometimes they come back in the evening too. But what what is it that elders do? Elders are responsible before God for the overall health of the local church. Elders aren't supposed to do all the ministry. They're definitely not. Elders aren't supposed to just do the best bits of ministry. But elders are supposed to create an environment where the church can flourish as each one plays their part. Who does the ministry? You do the ministry. Elders are just responsible for creating an environment where we can all play our part. There's one key illustration that's used frequently in the Bible to explain the role of elders in the local church. And that is a shepherd with the flock. You see it time after time after time. In Acts 20 verse 28, Paul says to the the elders at Ephesus, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. In 1 Peter 5 verse 2, Peter talking, 
to the churches in Galatia, he says this, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Jesus, when speaking of himself in John 10, gives a helpful description of what he's about and what he's doing. And he describes the role of a shepherd with the sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. Now, as elders, we can model ourselves on Jesus. We fall way short. We don't have exactly the same role as Jesus had. Obviously, that is clear. But there are some things from John 10 that we can look at which describe what we as elders um, should be looking to do. The first thing I noticed from John 10 is that shepherds are there to protect the flock. Elders are there to protect the church. Not, Not a building, but us as a people. We are here to protect. What from? From false teaching and wolves that bring disruption and division among the church. In the New Testament, false teaching is a really big concern. It's a really big deal. And elders are responsible to make sure that that we as a church get fed well, that we understand the truth. Why? Because if, if there is false teaching, then we won't grow strong and healthy. And if it's really bad, actually people won't even find their way to Jesus. And so that whole thing of knowing the truth and being able to teach it and explain it is, is a responsibility of the elders. Not that we do it all. So Andrew Bunt is one of our, if not our most gifted public teacher. But he's not an elder. So he does that under the elders' authority, under our shaping and under our guidance in what is going on there. We're to protect the church from wolves who bring disruption and division. That, that doesn't happen very often. And if myself and Steve are totally honest, it's not the favourite part of our role. It's difficult and tricky. But there are times when people come in and they are disruptive and they are divisive. And, and it's our role to encourage them and support them and help them to stop. But if they won't stop, ask them to leave. That would be part of what we do as elders, to say they cannot come until they change their behaviour. So um, shepherds protect the flock. Um, Shepherds feed the flock. Elders are there to make sure that that as a church we are fed well on biblical truth that we grow strong in God. How do I grow strong? I mean, to be honest, this weekend... There's been a couple of circumstances I've been challenging with. How have I stayed strong in God? I've taken specific promises from this, prayed them back to God and set my mind upon them. That's exactly how any one of us as Christians grow in God. Elders' responsibility to feed the church and ultimately to point people to Jesus. Because there's not not one elder will be able to solve your problems, but Jesus can. And so we feed the church by pointing people towards Jesus. Shepherds are to lead the flock, to go out in front, to um, be an example of servant leadership. So as we're looking to go after the uh, community action hub, as we're focusing on mission for this year, They're things that myself and Steve have a real burden from God that we should be going into those. Not that we have all the ideas. To be honest, most of our best ideas are yours. You know, things you're talking to us about, things we're hearing from you, think, no, that's right in God. But it's our ultimate, ultimately our responsibility to pick the right way forward. Shepherds are committed to the flock. We're not like hired hands. This isn't just a job. 
It's not just a three-year placement and then think, oh, well, you know, we've had enough, we're going to move on. Me and Steve, we're, we're committed to King's Church. We're, we're here. Do you know what I mean? And that's so important with, you know, Sam and Alid. We've spoken to these guys about this. You're committed. We love you. That works out in commitment. Shepherds know the flock. It says the sheep hear his voice. Obviously, that's ultimately Jesus. But actually, there's a knowing. Us knowing you, you knowing us. It's not that I know everyone as well as I would like to. But I want every single person within Kings to be known pastorally. To be cared for. That's why connect groups are so very, very important. They are the first foundation of pastoring within Kings. Is that you're known in there by a group of people. And then lastly, shepherds are missional. They look out for the lost sheep. They go after one. And it's the same. Elders are to be missional. So that's something about what elders do. Who, who qualifies for eldership? Third, who qualifies for, for eldership? Is it that you need to go to Bible college to be an elder? Um, to be honest, Bible college is really helpful, but it doesn't appear in scriptures in that way. Do you need to be a straight A student? Um, hallelujah, no you don't, because I wouldn't be here if you did. Um, do you need a gift of public speaking? No. You don't need that either. Do you need to be old to be an elder? You know, the name implies that you're just some old person. Um, no, um, no, you don't need to be um, particularly uh, old. But the Bible does provide a lot of info, um, which can be set under three broad headings when it comes to um, eldership. That you're able to lead yourself, that you're able to lead your family, and that you're able to lead the church. And these things aren't legalistic requirements, but they're character traits that we are growing in as elders. And I think it's these character traits particularly. I want to encourage you, if you're looking to grow in maturity as a Christian, just have a look at these character traits and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you personally um, on them, because there's a lot of good stuff in there. I'm just going to read, if you've got your Bible, I bet you wondered when I was going to get there. 1 Timothy chapter 3. One Timothy chapter three verse one says this: "The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer or an elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money." He must manage his own household well and with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? 
He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace or into the snare of the devil. Now, as I'm saying, please hear me, it's not some legalistic requirement. We've all got to get this perfect, but there's a general list of character traits that we are looking for there. So let's just look briefly at, you know, what does it mean when it says you're able to lead yourself? Before you can lead anyone else, you need to be able to lead yourself. Now, we live in a society which has increasingly separated the private from the public. It it doesn't really matter what I do in private. That doesn't disqualify me from the public. But in the Bible, the two are absolutely overlapping and linked together. The very qualification I would have to be an elder is based on my personal integrity before God and my character and also how I lead my family. And the reality is in ministry within the local church, that's how it works from top to bottom. So the world separates it, but I think it makes leadership really shaky and it makes it really difficult to know if you can trust leaders if their private world is not measuring up to a large extent. I think it really does provide a shaky foundation. So the first thing I just want to highlight when it comes to leading yourself is an elder needs to be self-controlled. Actually, a mature Christian. It's good for you to be self-controlled. D.L. Moody, who was an evangelist of the last century, an American evangelist, he said this. He says, I have more trouble with D.L. Moody than any other man alive. I don't know if any of you can relate to that. Any of you say, I have more trouble with myself than I do with any other person alive. And by the way, if that isn't what you're saying, probably take it to God in prayer and let him show you've, you've got it wrong, okay? It says in Proverbs 25 verse 28, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. You see, if you've not got self-control, you are, you are at the mercy of your emotions, You are at the mercy of your circumstances. You you have no control how you're going to respond in the different different circumstances that come up and down in life. So actually, if you want to be able to lead yourself, the first thing that needs to be there is self-control. We live in a society that says freedom is to be able to do what I want whenever I feel I want to do it. But no, true freedom is actually found in self-control. Being able to lead yourself well, to be able to say no to desires, to say yes to things that you don't naturally want to do. That is freedom when you find yourself in that place. And the wonderful thing is that self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just about trying really, really hard, but it's us partnering with the Holy Spirit and saying, oh, Holy Spirit, would you produce more of that fruit in my life, the fruit of self-control, that I can lead myself well. We need to learn ourselves before, we can le- le- before you can lead others. Second thing, um, an elder is to be temperate. They're to be stable, not to be quick-tempered, not to be moody or emotional. You know, life... I think this is a song. Life's a roller coaster. Yeah, is there something like I don't know. Well, it does. It goes up and down, doesn't it? But actually, as an elder, um, we're called to be temperate, 
temperate, not temperamental. You know, nothing worse is there than when you approach someone, you're walking on eggshells because they're moody. Um, elders are to be respectable. Someone you admire, I'd, I'd, I'd quite like to be like them. They're, they're worthy of following. Elders are not to be drunkards. They're to keep their drinking and their eating in check. Not to be a glutton, comfort eating or drinking. Not to be self-medicating through drink or, or some other form. We, we need to be those. And as mature Christians, we learn, to, we learn to find God as our coping mechanism. We learn to find our strength in God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And elders to be, not to be violent but gentle and not quarrelsome. Elders should be bringers of peace. They should not have a combative spirit. Elders are not to be lovers of money. That means they're not to be greedy. There's nothing wrong with money in itself, but get rich quick schemes or trying to make a profit on anything, everything. It's not right. When we're looking to appoint trustees or senior leaders, we want to know that they give generously. It's important that they reflect that in what they do with their money. All of these things come under a heading of being able to lead yourself. They all come under, in a sense, the heading of self-control. And the thing is, self-control doesn't come with age. It comes with spiritual maturity. In actual fact, I think, as one who is getting older himself and I've confessed some of my sins to you in the last few weeks, I think actually as you get older, you can lose self-control more. You can be more temperamental, and you can be a bit more grumpy, throw your weight around a bit more, you know your rights a bit more. I don't know, you just got to watch that. And it's really interesting in Titus 2 verse 6, um, Paul says this, he's talking to different groups of uh, people in the church. He says, likewise, I urge the younger men to be self-controlled. That's it. He doesn't give them any other instruction. He says, I urge younger men to be self-controlled. I wonder if that's because that is so key for us. Not just younger men, all of us. To be self-controlled in how we live lives. So elders are also to be able to lead his family, the husband of but one wife. In that day, it would have literally meant that. Because there would have been people with more than one wife. And Paul was saying, if you want to be an elder in one of the local churches, you need to just have one wife. If you've got two wives, you cannot be an elder within the local church. That's pretty much what he was saying. In our day, thank goodness that is not the case within, within our society. But it does mean that for elders, there to be one They are to be, they are to be, (laughs) ah, found it. You're to be a one-woman man. Thank you. (laughs) Which basically means no pornography and no flirting. That's not just talking about other women in the physical. It's about where your mind goes. In Job 31 verses 1 and 4, I mean, these are, these are challenging verses, men, particularly, but 
women too. I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman or a young man. And then it says in verse 4, this is what God says. This it says about God. Does he not see my ways and count my every step? That's challenging, isn't it? So I've made a covenant not to look. And by the way, you know, I'll just give you a little bit of an encouragement. And doesn't God see my every step, everything I think, everything I do? Oh, you know, not to be messed with. Um, they're to be hospitable, we find in verse 2. The foundation of a, a friendly, welcoming church isn't the welcome team, although that's really, really important, but it's actually hospitality within the church. Discipleship grows in an environment of friendship. Friendship grows in an environment of hospitality. And then in verse 4 it says he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. And then lastly, and we've already touched on that, qualifications to be an elder, able to lead the local church. Well, really what we covered in John chapter 10 really uh, covers that in many, many ways. So fourthly and lastly, what is the process um, into eldership? How are elders um, appointed here? Well, there's four steps taken. Firstly, they're identified. And, and myself and Steve, we were, over the last 18 months, we've identified a group of men and we've looked at character, gifting and relationships within the church. Over the last 18 months, they've been tested sort of quietly, slightly under the radar. They've been proven and discipled. And that leads to the third step is which they are presented to you, the church. So we've presented, from this group of men, we've presented Sam and Alid for eldership to get your thoughts, to get you to respond to us. Your encouragements, your questions, your concerns. And then lastly, the fourth step in eldership is to set them apart, to appoint them to it. So we've provisionally booked a date um, towards the end of November, a midweek Wednesday evening, where hopefully we will gather together as a church, and Sam and Alid will be there. Dave Holden is going to be joining us, and we are going to appoint them into eldership, being aware that actually this is a work of God. This is something that God does. We, we read it earlier in Acts, I think it is chapter 20. The Holy Spirit appointed you into eldership. And so we very much see that as a key thing uh, that we are doing there. So identified, tested, presented and set apart for eldership. This is an encouraging, uh, challenging moment for us in Kings, I absolutely believe that as we strengthen the eldership, we strengthen kings. And as we strengthen kings, our ability to reach out and bless the community grows and expands with it. And so we don't want this to be something that as a church um, we are largely passive in and we're just watching on with. We really want to engage you with it. We would really love your feedback. Please sort of nearly say, well, what's, what's my takeaway from this morning? Well, actually, one of, one of the takeaways is, please let me and Steve know what you think. Please email us. And if you're not quite certain where to email, just email hello at kings1066.org. Is that right, Sue? Brilliant. So, so email, email that and that will get through to us. Or come and see us um, after a meeting and let us know what you think. But also pray. Pray for us as an eldership. Pray for Sam um, and Alid. Pray we want more elders. Four elders is good. 
more would be better. We, as we expand and we go to new venues, we, we want to see more elders developing and coming through. It says, doesn't it, it says, he who, this saying is trustworthy, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. So it's good to aspire to it. It's good to want to do it. That's a good thing. So maybe we should be praying as a church that more men would aspire to the office of eldership with the weight and the responsibility uh, that comes on that. What I'd love us to do now, and I think the band are going to come back up, but what I'd love us to do now is we're going to break bread together. And we're going to have the opportunity, firstly, to remember what Christ has done for us, but then secondly, as it were, to express our unity and spend time together praying for us as a church. So why don't we stand, um, why don't we stand up? That would be absolutely brilliant. Brilliant. I'm going to ask Sam to lead us through um, this, uh, this part of the meeting. So up you come, Sam. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, so Jesus uh, took bread and he, he broke it, gave to his disciples and said, this is my body, uh, do this in remembrance of me. And then he took some wine as well uh, and again gave to his disciples. It was a sense of just expressing uh, the unity that they had as a group. And this morning, as a church, we want to, yeah, ultimately, like Paul said, express our union with Jesus first and foremost, but also the fact that we are united um, as, as a family, as a body. So there are a few stations here in the middle on that end and that end. I'm just going to pray, and then we're all going to try and then find our way to any of these stations. We want to do this as a family. We want to do it together. And um, as we break bread and then have wine together, it will be good to, like Paul said, just spend time praying for for our elders, for Paul and Steve, but also for our, our connect group leaders and all the other amazing guys who lead in one way or the other in the local church. So I just want to pray for us and then I'll stop talking and then we can do that together. Father, we just ask that you will bless this time together uh, as we seek to express our, our oneness in you, Jesus. I really want to ask that you, you speak to our hearts, that you begin to even reveal Jesus to us more and more. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and help us? Amen. So let's just, yeah, just find a station. We could do this in groups and then just spend some time praying for our, our elders and um, our connect group leaders as well. Yeah. And then we're going to come back together and finish off with a song. Yeah.
We will give you uh, one or two further minutes to uh, bring your prayers to a conclusion and then we can get back together again.
to the seminar, so we're just going to finish just by singing that song up there, what Jesus has done. His blood was dying on the cross. It says that he's a lamb. He's a sacrificial lamb, and he died, and he rose again. And because Jesus died and rose, we, even through death, it says, where death is your sting, we now have resurrection life because he is alive. Amen? Isn't it good news? That's what we do when we're breaking the bread and when we're drinking the wine. We're drinking it. We come to you. He said, my blood is spilled. So that when we believe in him, when we do this, we remember that all the things that Jesus won in his death and resurrection are now ours. Which is absolutely amazing. 